Well, good afternoon and welcome to Recovery Central. I have Reese here today with me. Hello, Reese. Hi, Richard. And how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How did we actually end up in this room together, do you think? The first time I saw you, you were singing and playing guitar. Ah. Ah, yeah, that would explain quite a lot, wouldn't it? Yes, because I, I used to play with the church group, didn't I? Yes. I'd rolled in December 2012. I was, uh, I'd been sober for about nine hours. Uh, they, ah, were, ah. they were afraid that I was going to fall over, but because somebody important had turned up, I think it was a band maybe, I had to be there, so I just sat there. I didn't have to uh, stand, I could just sit there. I can remember it now. Oh, it comes flowing back. So I'm sitting there yeah. in Small Heath Church Hall and there's all this going on. So I'm sitting there going, okay, well, this is once a week, is it? I'll manage, I'll manage. <laughs> Richard on guitar, Ian on bass guitar, who else was there? Somebody on the drums, but I can't remember who. Oh, I can't remember by then, but I do remember Bongo Dave. Bongo Dave didn't present us with his musical gifts until a few months later. Indeed. So that was the first time. That was during my first real foray into recovery when the seed was set. I went through that process and, and yes, I was there with my guitar and singing and it worked for so long and the, the problem at the centre of that was in fact me, not anybody else or anywhere else. What did you find most challenging in terms of the continuance of recovery once you've been through a rehab situation? I remember one, the first afternoon in the outside world, I had to go and do some shopping, so I went to Sainsbury's and I steeled myself for, the, you know, people talk about people, places and things. That yeah. was a dangerous place because of the off-licenses of the drinks aisle. Who was at the end of the drinks aisle but Sean the Monk? Ah. And I swear to this day that I may have relapsed were it not for Sean the Monk. I didn't speak to him because he was busy speaking to somebody else. And I thought, I'll yeah. go and have a word with him afterwards to yeah. see if he can remember. He was still talking, and I thought, well, I, I just need to get out of here, back into the house in Agogs Green. But it was one of the toughest things on my own, was yeah. was that 10 minutes, quarter of an hour in Sainsbury's Day, I could have either gone back into treatment, back into um, the routine, safe though it would have been, or the shame would have killed me, and I would have just thrown my toys out the pram, and carried on drinking, and in which case I probably wouldn't be here. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I used to see Sean a lot in, in Sainsbury's at Pecos Green, actually. Maybe he was there to stop people like me. Well, it's, it's quite probable. The there was also, of course, Sean knew everyone that he, yes. sh he shopped around, and he used to take me to this cafe that was there that was opposite Sainsbury's, and he would come in for the same thing every day, and it was actually just a cup of tea. And it was his, his way of keeping a handle on his community, I think yeah. is the way he put it. And in terms of that continuance of recovery post rehab, how important do you think it is that we have to start taking responsibility for that kind of stuff, the uh, day to day? It, it, it's key, but it, it, it's important it doesn't happen too early, and on the other hand, it doesn't happen too late. Yes. And it's gradual, so the temptation for many of us 
of being stuck for six months in that sheltered, protected community to go, I'm ready, I can start relationships, I can start work again, oh I God, can yeah. start making money. And it was reaching that moment where I knew I had to do this as me because I was quite capable of staying in a safety net. But as soon as I got out, my head went wild and it was learning to actually do the real stuff day to day. Yeah, but not rushing it. Yes, absolutely. So I had that six months outside, but tied closely in. So I still had to obey lots of rules. Yeah. You had to do however many meetings it was per week. So I made it my business, get the three out of the way as soon as possible. So I ticked the boxes. But then yeah. I found myself going to others because there was nothing else to do. Yes. So I got into a pattern of meetings, meeting other people. I wasn't very good at collecting phone numbers. I'm still not very good at it. And I learned then how good the meetings were for me, particularly in times of transition. Fast forward two or three years, and there were things like moving into a new house and yes. relationships. It's about relationships, upset at work. The answer always was to go to a meeting. Oh, God, yeah. And which is what I found so strange about lockdown. For me, I'm hopeless with phone numbers, but as soon as I was secretary of a meeting, suddenly I had hundreds of them. It got me out of jail a bit, really, because I was hopeless at getting them. But I did find in the immediacy of lockdown happening, while it did have me reassess my relationship with AA and many other things, the first thing I missed was my Sunday night. And it's still there, actually, but that's what I'm waiting to go back to when it happens. And while I've certainly reached a point where I don't feel like I absolutely have to do X number of meetings a week, I do allow a window for if I need to go. If you could say one thing to a newcomer in a meeting, what would it be? But it's okay, keep coming back. If you don't get AA, AA will get you. The cliches are true. If I were to have two minutes with a newcomer, I would say go early, help set up help clear up and if you just sit there in between that's fine normally here i would splice in one of our dialogues i wrote these things with the intention of showing how people think either while in rehab or or just out of rehab or just out of treatment okay so yeah. there's lots of gaslighting there's lots of co-signing of bullshit there's lots of hostage taking there's lots of lying oh. lying being a big one i don't think i knew the difference between the truth and and the false i'm struggling okay what with my head's all over the place how so i can't concentrate my leg hurts oh, those are two different things i slow it down i know but but what how am i supposed to cope gerald gerald yeah okay tell me about gerald then we can focus on you it's been a week now since he died, I keep looking at his picture. I can't move from the settee sometimes, even though he's cold because I've got no money to put on the gas card. Gerald was such a big part of my life. In fact, he came to live with me just after I got the flat, so it's hard to look at life without him. It's understandable, but it's not a reason to give up. But of course, I had a drink. I couldn't cope, seeing him lying there. I stopped the next day, but I've not been out. I can't get to meetings. I don't want to go out because it means I have to come back to a cold, empty house. Why, of course you had a drink. You did have a choice, you know. But... But what? I know I need to do some set work too, but... Yes, you've not done any yet, have you? I can't focus. I'm sure I'm dyslexic, 
just because that school said I wasn't and called me lazy doesn't mean I'm wrong. Still not a reason to avoid it, is it? I can't. Can't or won't? I'm bearing Gerald tomorrow. I asked the vicar of the local church, but he told me not to be so ridiculous. He made me really angry going on about God. I went to the pub to forget about it. It's the only reason why I keep doing it. Not because I want to drink, but because life is too much to cope with. And yet, life is too much to cope with because you drink? No, I just can't cope. Have you tried? Yeah, but I look at Gerald's bed, his little wheel, his bowl and the breakdown clothes. Hang on a minute. And his special nut dispenser. And Are you telling me that... His little bow tie. Oh, come on, he's what? Special occasions and outings. But I thought you were... I can't even use them again because... Just stop, please. And his bespoke suit with embroidered... Oh, lapis. please, just stop. I can't help but feel that... Life. Just stop, slow down a minute, please. But you asked me. What? You asked me to tell you all about Gerald, so I did. But I thought Gerald was a person. Oh, no. No, obviously not. I did tell you. I don't think so, but let's not worry about that for now. This can't be normal. You can say that again. Do I need a psychiatrist? I can't. This is all you. I don't know what you mean. You place obstacles in front of yourself to give you an excuse for drinking. And a reason and an excuse are not the same thing, are they? No. You probably think I keep saying the same thing, but that's because it's what works. You need to get to meetings, do some work, and engage with recovery. Uh, and stop saying but. I'm staying in tonight. Really? Wouldn't that be best? No. Why not? Because all you do is stare mournfully at everything Gerald left behind. Oh, but I do want to remember him. Yes, but even so... You think it's too much? I'm going to pick you up at seven. All right, then. Give yourselves for the best. What's the biggest challenge you've had to face in recovery? I'm learning how to live. They say the best thing about recovery is you get your feelings back. The worst thing about getting sober is you get your feelings back. <laughs> yeah. There was still I still had to learn a lot about myself, and I couldn't use. Ah, oh, well, it's the drink. It's the drink as an excuse. Yeah, it's and just gone, isn't it? And suddenly the default excuse is just taken away. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, well, I can't rush things because I've only just sober. Or, oh, well, at least I'm not drinking. And yeah. that means I can misbehave in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. I can do what I like because I'm not drunk. As long as I'm not drunk. <laughs> but with that benefit, I could look at myself and have other people go, actually, you're still not right in the head, Bruce, are you? Because you're still, you can't concentrate, you drift off during conversations, when you put the effort in you can be a really good listener, but some of the rest of the time you're terrible, uh, because you're so wrapped up in yourself, why are you so forgetful? And I go, yeah, but at least I'm not drinking. You hear people go, oh yeah, my mental health, yeah, it's my mental health. And go, yeah, so that's that might be true, but if you're drunk all the time, they can't do anything about your mental health. So the big benefit uh, for me, it came sort of three or four years ago. I, since remarried, I was in not a particularly good job. Those of you that know will know my story. I was a, a pre an Anglican priest. I lost all of that, so there was this look of, around me of people going, right, well now you're sober, you can sort yourself out and get back to where you were before. Yes. And I went, no, and the nearest I got to it was, I started in a part-time job, but I lost it, and one of the reasons was poor executive function. And I went, what the is executive function? And why am I so bad at this so-called executive function? So I Googled it, I did what any, 
but he mm-hmm. he's our Google and that reminded me of somebody in very early on at an AA meeting in uh, Linden Road where somebody had gone a female I was at the treatment centre and this lady was two years sober and she didn't have a thick Irish accent so AI identified with her and I could understand so I listened to her and a lot of her story resonated with me in terms of here I was intellectually quite capable but not fulfilling a potential this lady apparently thrived as an onion grader I think and I thought oh and she talked about autism and Asperger's, she called it. Yeah. It's non-mutable, Asperger's, apparently, I've since discovered. But a little seed was planted then. Another seed was planted when I heard it again from somebody else. And then a third seed, which was my wife going, I think you've got Asperger's. Do this quiz and we'll sort it out. Mm-hmm. So that was three years ago, and I got my official diagnosis as um, Asperger's about three months ago. That explains a lot to me about school, about relationships, about childhood, about everything. And then you look into why autistics become addicts, and the overlap with ADHD. So guess what I'm now undergoing, which is a, yeah. a diagnosis for ADHD. So, uh, but you only get to that because you stop drinking. Yeah, so like for exactly. me, I'd always known that something was just not right, and I'd been through various things. And, and while I was obviously intellectually capable, I mean, I was on a Cambridge graduate. I was I was a teacher for some years, and not just main scale either. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I've been in management. I've done this. I've done that. What and. Eventually, I came to the decision thing. I don't want that back because I don't want to be that mad again. And then, after I come into changes, I reached a point after a few months where I was actually madder. And I was shooting to the wind. I didn't really know. And at the point where I was sitting there with that psychiatrist, I'd actually gone beyond the, the thinking, oh, something's a bit off, whatever. And he just looked at me and he said, why has no one ever told you you're bipolar? At which point, clatter, because that was first mooted while I was teaching. And of course, I didn't want the diagnosis while I was teaching, because at that time, it would have been bye-bye. It's not anymore, but at that time, it would have been. And, and obviously, I couldn't have that. I couldn't have a diagnosis on it. And, and then since then an awful lot of things have clicked into place and, uh, and I also no longer feel that I have to fulfil this imagined potential and I'll be 50 in January I don't, I don't feel that I've got to do this in yeah. the next 10 years Yeah. if I'd have been told back when I was a teenager oh this is why you're a bit yeah. off key and I wasn't majorly off key yeah. and my my uh, when I got my diagnosis they said it's probably because your parents put such structures in place yeah. that you didn't go off the rails I had that too I went off the rails at university because everything was structured no actually I went way off the rails when I was 15 See, I, I, just I, nobody I, wanted to say it <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean to be fair that nobody really heard of autism other than the extreme high functioning or the other end of the scale somebody in the middle could just mask and pretend everything was yeah. all right and people please and all the phrases yes. you hear in the rooms 
We go on and on. Right, I would normally splice in the, the rehab story at this point. One of the people who's been working with me on this has, has written a rehab story based on his recent experience of going through. And he's managed to write it from four different perspectives. Okay. Which, which I think is really important for something like this because it's, it's not just about the person going through rehab, it's about those close to them as well. Yeah. It's almost for me, I felt like my family went through rehab with me. Mm. I didn't have anyone else left actually, but it was that. And I think in this self-centered world that we live in as we're getting to where we get to, however low we go, we forget that other people have to go through it too. So I'll put that in. Hello again, it's Jamie's mum. I have some good news. The treatment centre have called me to say my son Jamie has been allocated a date for his rehabilitation. I really never thought it would come to this. I mean, I knew Jamie liked to drink, as most young men do, but I never realised it was going to become a problem like it has. I'm not happy that I was the last to find out about this either, as I feel if I'd known earlier I could have put a stop to it. John and Sarah, or even his other mates and work colleagues, never mentioned it to me. I agree, I didn't see much of Jamie, like most families, I suppose. But I just thought he was out and about, getting on with life, like most normal people do. When I did see him, he never seemed like he had a problem. However, I suppose I should have realised something was up, with all the money he used to borrow off me. Also, he never paid it back. And sometimes it was large amounts that I couldn't really afford that gave him anyway. When I found out about the drugs, I was devastated. I had an idea, but I didn't realise he was doing it to the point he owed money to people. And drug dealers can get very nasty. If it weren't for Sarah and John informing me of all this, I would never have known. When I look back, I suppose I should have noticed he wasn't alright. Like when he would call randomly out of the blue and make plans with me to go out for family time, only to later forget he had planned it or end up cancelling at the last minute. We did go out once to the local pub he likes to hang out in, and it was lovely, until his mate showed up and in no time he was pissed as a fart and hardly spoke to me. I ended up leaving him to it, and the next day he called me to ask where I'd gone. It was as if he couldn't remember me saying goodbye to him and giving him the 50 quid he was asking me for. I just thought he preferred to be with his pals than his mother, and like most lads would. Sometimes he would turn up at my house in the early hours of the morning, complaining that Sarah had kicked him out. He would be banging the door for ages to wake me up at like four or five in the morning. Once I found him in the shed, sleeping under the workbench. This was in the afternoon, so it must have been a heavy night for him to sleep that long. Anyway, when I spoke with him about his allocated date, he seemed very pleased. He said he was looking forward to getting it over and done with, so he can make changes in his life for the better. He's hoping Sarah will have his back. I hope she will too. I don't mind having him here for a bit, although I'm used to living on my own and I think he might get too comfortable. I have no idea of what happens in a rehab place, but I'm sure they can fix him. He deserves a better life than the one he has at the moment. He's a lovely lad, just deserves a chance. His father and I always made sure he was never short of anything and we always had food on the table. His dad did keep in touch for a while, but they didn't have a great relationship. Well, enough of me nattering on. Thank you for taking the time to follow this journey with my son and I'll keep you posted. Yours, Rosalind.
P.S. Jamie is allowed to have contact with me, so when he writes or calls, I will update you if he doesn't mind. And following that, what would our cat say about us while we're drinking? My partner has a cat, and he is going out to meetings, you think? The she cat. agrees with me that the old cat is going out to meetings. Oh, yes. okay. And it then dawned on me, what would they say about us? Well, if cats had a support group, talking about their owners, what would they say? My cat would have said, I've never seen anything like it, but then I've never been with an alcoholic before, possibly, my yeah. cat would say. Uh, but this guy seems to revel in his own self-pity. <laughs> uh, glory in his hard lap yes and refuse to do the most glaringly obvious thing that everyone's telling him to do uh, yep let's hope it's not too late let's take the cat back to august bank holiday 2012 oh god yeah and he's listening to heart fm or real radio or whatever it was and the dj is saying and this is the last bank holiday before christmas Reese sitting there is stressing about how he can get a drink on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's how warped and deranged Reese is because he's literally pissing his life away. Yeah. So that's what my cat would have yeah. said. We will see where Reg has gone this week because he's still looking for Lula, I think. God. Well, you could, I suppose. I've not heard anything since last week. No, but I couldn't. I'm sorry. I don't. I had to go undercover. Undercover? Yeah. But only for a week? Well, sort of. Yeah. It's just that... What? Going undercover doesn't usually mean... Oh, I see. What? I had to be in Mufti. Muff... What? In Mufti. It means in everyday clothes. But we don't wear clothes. Not usually, no. And where did you get... This is not an everyday situation. But you needed everyday clothes. Oh, yeah. For a situation that wasn't everyday. Oh, I see. I don't. Now I get it. Please stop confusing me with it. I'll try. Right, okay, here goes. I had to disguise myself in such a way that was so ridiculous that no one would believe it was me. So, you wore clothes? Yes, theatrical clothes. Theatrical clothes? It was the only way. You sure? Yeah. It was the only way? Oh, yeah. You couldn't have just gone undercover? Oh, well, not really, no. I had to be sure. Sure of what? I needed to know I would not be recognised. I see. It was too important. But what if someone had realised and unmasked you? Now that, that might have presented a difficulty. I can imagine. I would have needed plan B. And did you have a plan B? Oh yeah, of course. Which was? You know I can't tell you that. Oh yeah, I remember. It's between me and old Severin. Yeah. Can't betray the code, can I? No, I still don't believe you though. No? Your plan was so absurd that you knew it would work, didn't you? Well yeah, however, there was a plan B because Severin insisted. I'm still glad he did. Plan C, however, still remains on the drawing board. The drawing board? Yes. I thought you had a writing desk. No, told you that. You obviously didn't. No, I'd have told you. And you don't have a secretary? Of course not. Although I bet that Ellie's got a secretary. Does she? Mate, she thinks she's so posh. Didn't you tell me once you liked posh girls? I may have been through a phase at some point. A phase? But I do not recollect. Funny thing, memory, isn't it? True. Especially yours. I forget you said that. Yeah. I have a selective memory and it's for a reason. There's method in your madness. Oh, bit, I suppose. You know where that's from? Shakespeare, surely. Indeed. Anyway, I need to be selective so I can store exact details in my memory when I need to. When I saw Ellie and Selina during the week, I had to be clear on absolutely everything what they both said. 
If you had a secretary, you could oh, don't be stupid. What you don't take secretaries on undercover missions? No. Does James Bond take money penny off and away in his Aston Martin when he's off to Barney with Blofeld? He doesn't. No. But in this instance, no, too sensitive. Anyway, I thought you weren't actually undercover. You were in Muffy. What did you? No, I was, as you almost correctly say, in Mufti rather than fully undercover. But you had your memory. Well, I was hardly leaving that behind. Now was I? However, if you had read Henri Bergson on memory... Not now, Reg, please. I'm struggling to understand as it is. OK, details first, philosophy later. First I went and saw Ellie. The Poshka. Probably prefers Lady. Did you treat her like one? What? A lady. Well, I tried to. I was mostly listening, though, what with her being so keen on the sound of her own voice. Why am I not surprised? She was very helpful in the event. She was? Oh, yeah. Classic snobbery? Well, a bit of it. She can't help herself. But she was very detailed in her recollections. Didn't even mention the fact that it was her what helped Selena and the dog to escape. Well, I found that out later. She did agree also to keep continuous watch on the area. I assume she has minions then. Minions? Yeah. Oh, them little yellow things? No, not those things. You sure? Yeah, I mean, she can't keep watch all the time herself, can she? Why not? She's a cat. She sleeps 18 hours a day, doesn't she? Like the rest of us. Maybe, although she might be trained in endurance. I thought you said that endurance training just involved taking drugs to stay away. I said no such thing. You did. I must have been taking the piss. Yes, you were actually. Of course, you are right. She wouldn't do it all herself. Would it be beneath her? Probably, although she was very committed to the cause. I'm very pleased to hear it. But minions? What? Those little... Stop it, Reg. You know I meant she'll have, I don't know, servants or something. Oh, she does have staff, of course. Staff? Her owners are very, very rich. Of course. I then went to see Selina, who has a detailed link in the facility where Lula has been taken. Information is being gathered as we speak, and a rescue attempt will be launched in the coming days. Wow, I'm impressed. I gave it 110%, I did. So, what next? I'm going to call a committee so I won't be able to complete this mission on my own. Very wise. How did the meeting go? Well, it was, a uh, Different. Different? Yeah. How? Gummy turned up. Oh, yeah. And? We were treated to a dramatic rendition of the member we weren't sure whether you'd written or dictated. I see. And Mark came. Oh, good. I'm wondering whether he thought that. Whatever Mark says, if he's been watching Gummy trying to be dramatic, then he'll be back for more. Let's face it, Gummy's so bad, he's brilliant. You did it deliberately, didn't you? What? You sent Gummy. I asked him. So that he could do something utterly outlandish and take all our minds off what was happening, just for a while. That was part of my plan, yes. It worked, I think. And you got around to making a plan for what you'd do from here? Yes. And you're happy with that? Yes. So you'll keep the meeting running while I do the rescue mission? Of course. We may veer from our intentions a bit, Tom, in that we won't be alcoholics addicts cats in its purest form for a couple of weeks, but we're still offering support to animals what are struggling. Needs must. And if any cat anywhere is suffering the effects of an alcoholic or drug-addicted human... We welcome them with open arms. Yeah. You'll be all right, Tom. You will. Plot thickens. One of the things I wanted to add into this was talking about the things that we can do just because we're sober. In the, I mean, they call it life beyond your wildest dreams. Isn't yeah. it? And for me, that's not winning the lottery. It's not having a yacht in the Algarve. It's not having an extra place in Tuscany and a flat in central Paris. Although I would very much like those things, it's actually about that day-to-day stuff that just happens that I either ignored because I was blind while I was drunk 
or that I never thought I'd get, this sort of everyday peace of mind stuff. What's the most important thing for you in terms of what you get or what you get back because you're sober? Early on, it was going into a supermarket and not stressing about buying drink. Like, you know, I didn't need it. Yeah. I didn't want it, so I wasn't obsessing about where the next drink was going to come from. I remember I was with somebody and we were walking down the street. We were both in either Changes or the other place uh, and we walked around and this police car drove past us and we looked at each other and went, they're not looking for us anymore, are they? So there was that early on thing and then it was was just being asked to do things that normally nobody would have asked us to do before. And we were in a position, in a And being trusted. Yeah, being trusted. Yeah. That was about it. Yeah. So as you say, the last question I was asked about the autism diagnosis, what would you do if you won the lottery? And I went, well, I'd buy some new shoes, maybe Mm. a to measure suit, but that was it. I'd certainly have a bespoke suit. And then I think, right, is this a pension? Would actually be my (laughs) first question these days. It would, no extravagances. It would be, right, is that a pension? Is there anything left on top of the pension? Because that's my only real thought. And, and then you go, actually, I don't even do the lottery, so it's... Yeah, not and then it's all hypothetical anyway. Ridley Scott has inexplicably decided to make a film of your life, um, which means he can contact whoever he wants to play the role. Obviously, you're being consulted on the script, and at least... In nominate, you are being consulted. Whether they'll actually take any notice or not is another case in point. But you, if you could have anyone play you in a film of your life, who would it be? I'm tempted to ask for an actor who's in recovery, and yet part of me wants a star. So, star wise and, and complexion wise and, and size wise, maybe James Corden? Well, he'd be physically exactly. convincing, wouldn't that, he? That, that's what I thought. There is a Welsh actor called David Howell. He could do the Welsh bit, but maybe that's overdoing a lot of it. I don't know, I think those of us who are older might need two actors anyway. Well, that, yes, I was going to say, who would you get to play me as a youngster? The grandiose addict in me goes, I could play me younger. <laughs> I don't look that old, no, I could do this. But then, you see, I want Anthony Hopkins to play me. Because I think he is the greatest living actor ever. Well, the thing is, he can do anything. And he's been sober since 1977, yeah, I believe. Something like that. Something like that. Extraordinary for an actor, actually. Well, not extraordinary at all. But he does talk about it sometimes. And, and of course, the, the process of acting is very, very different from what alcoholics think it is. <laughs> and so he's had to contend with both and yet emerged as, as the finest of the lot. In, in many people's eyes. And you know, to win an Oscar at 83 takes some doing. Mm. And he was good for it. I've watched all the Oscar films and he was certainly good for it. And I'm not going to into the mistakes that I've decided the Oscars made. <laughs> anyway, Ruth, it's been great to have you in. Nice and it's good to see you. If anyone has been in any way affected or given pause for thought by anything we've said today, then do ask for help. I did. Reese did too. And we're both still here. Lots of people said that I wouldn't be. I remember that well enough. More than once, actually. I remember seeing you once or twice. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we're back now. Thanks, Ruth. Yes.